Lucy states that you shall podcast about the story of an angel and a devil fighting to make sure that the Antichrist is and always is a good bro. And the devil's David Tennant. Yeah! I'm so I was so happy. He's so cool. And the angel's Mikey Sheen. Also really cool. <clears throat> yes, the prophecy does say that the angel and the devil shall be really cool. <laughs> Good omens. Good omens. Good Can omens I to you all. <laughs> Good tidings and good omens, everyone. All you nerds who come back and listen to this podcast. Yes. Welcome back to Talk Nerdy to Me, baby. We're going to talk about, if you haven't gathered already, good omens. The, the dark Oh. No. No? No. No. Uh, good omens, which is a miniseries. Yeah. That's currently on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Based on the Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett novel. Yeah. Of the same name. Yeah. <laughs> we finished it. Yeah. And we liked it. Yeah. And we're going to talk about it. Yes, we are. <laughs> okay, thank you. I was just like, I don't know how many things I can say now. Um, but yeah, so we watched it what, two weeks ago? I mean, we watched it like as soon as it came out, so. Yeah, that's true. There, And if you haven't seen it, it's Dave Tennant, Michael Sheen, and. There's John Hamm. John Hamm, there's, is it what? Emma Thompson? No, it's no, no. Clo- no, no, I can't think of. You almost said Cloris Leach. I almost said Cloris. No, Leach. I, don't I know. don't know. Should we should we save it? I mean, I guess it's out there in the ether now. It, it's been out there. I enough. will pause for spoilers for who a certain character is, the voice of. So Francis McDormand is the voice of God, which is great. Yeah, it, she, God is very inactive, which is always. Almost always true. In, in yeah, because, I mean, God is the very literal definition of OP. Yeah. And <laughs> Omnipotent. OP. <laughs> so, I can't ever tell if, to put it in, like, terms that are easily, like, definable. If the way that people, like, put God into things is, like, a, a, a lawful neutral. Like... And because it's hard to tell, so like this version of God, so like you have God being depicted in so many other different things. Let's get into like, oh hello, plane. Goodbye, plane. <laughs> so a big comparison of different things is like supernatural. Yes, a lot of supernatural was heavily influenced by this. There yes. were so many things, so many parallels. Mm, the So the book of Good Omens came out in the 90s. Um, and so obviously is the predecessor to many of our current pop culture interpretations of things. And it was really interesting to go, like to watch it and be like, oh, I see that, you know, supernatural or so many Crowley things. Crowley and Crowley. Yeah. I didn't I mean, even try on that one. I mean, that's the name of an actual demon, though. Like, much like you have, like, Azazel, and you have, like, a bunch of the other different names of demons and angels, a lot of them are names that are out there. Like, they're ones that are actual in things. 
Yeah. But the the focus. But only the only uh, one of the few biblical ones is Gabriel. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Crowley on Supernatural is definitely <laughs> inspired by the one from Good Omens. Yeah. So. What are your overall thoughts on Good Omens as a show? I think it had a very unique uh, stylistic voice. And that's what kind of drew me into it. And it did so immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, some of the shows I've watched lately have had extremely good pilots. And this one had a very good pilot. That is very true. It it, it was definitely a show that, like, from the very beginning, I was... I, my teeth like sunk into it, and I was ready. Yeah, I was I was interested. I was in. It kept my attention. And you, as someone who's not, so I'm a binge watcher. I will watch things until they are over. I used to be that way. I I'm not anymore. But you did with Good Omens. I did. And I think that's telling about like how the story kind of keeps you involved and keeps you wanting to get to the other point of it. Yeah, and I mean, it's only six episodes, so I mean, there's, you know, it's it didn't even really have time to get to stretched slow out. Yeah. No, I think it was, so I'm a big fan of when you have, like, adaptations to limit yourself versus to stretch it out over, like, multiple, multiple seasons, because you get to get the very best parts of it and i like re- i really like miniseries for novelistic adaptations because unlike a movie where you have to cut so much from it and unlike a television like full series where you have to stretch it over like 22 yeah. you don't episodes. have to shrink it you don't have to stretch it you can keep it it's normal size pretty much yeah you just trim off a little bit of the fat or rework rework it you know help it build some shape yeah Give it some, get some nice definition. Yay. Um, so the other, the other thing that from the beginning caught me about Good Omens was the... Title sequence? Well, yes. The title sequence was amazing. I am a sucker for a good title. Sequence. Sequence. So it was not one that skipped and it wasn't one that skimped either. Like, the animation style of it is very much like the art in one of the versions of the covers uh-huh. of the book, um, like, illustration-wise. It looked like very crude puppetry. Yeah. Which is cool. It, it reminded me a lot of, like, paper art. Yeah. Where you take, like, the different sections of paper and paste over each other to make, like, a, a piece of thing. And it's this whole lead-in. And for the most part, everything that you see in that title sequence comes back somewhere. Yeah. At some point. Yeah, it's all about... What What was cool is, like, it's not about spoiling. It's about visual cues so that as you watch through the series, you're like, oh, that's why that was in the title sequence. It's not like the title... Like, the sequence, like, gives stuff away. Yeah. So I really enjoy that. And it also really fits with the overall stylistic choices of the show. So the show is very saturated in color. It's very... Um, surreal. Like, it has a very surreal feel to it, which I think helps, like, some of the more uh, campiness of it. I think it fits together. Like, tonality-wise, I think one of the reasons the show is so strong is because, like, visually, you know, story-wise, 
personality, the music, all of it really like fits together. And I think it's campiness in its best and truest form. Mm-hmm. Like campiness to the point of enjoyment and mm-hmm. not just for campiness sake. No, it, it feels like it fits. Yeah. Like that's why like all it's like a puzzle that has all come together. And I think that's the best one of the best parts about it is it doesn't feel like any part of it was forced. Um, I think some of that probably comes from the fact that Neil Gaiman is one of the, if not the like main writer, is like one of the lead writers on this show, and he. Yeah, he, I mean, he wrote every episode, mm-hmm. so. So he knows what he's talking about when it comes to this story. Yeah, he didn't have to cut any corners or ask, you know, ask the author for any, any questions really, because it was all him. So. Mm-hmm. And what I really liked was. As you watch it, you can really see how, excuse me, um, they kept, he kept his, his voice, but he didn't take away the voice that was Terry Pratchett. Terry Pratchett has a very, very specific style. And part of it is the, the, I guess I would say the really specifically odd characters that are, that inhabit worlds whereas neil gaiman is very good at like the sur- like surrealistic magic like modern day with the added elements terry pratchett's really good about character and connecting things that don't seem connected yeah Ga- gaiman is more of the atmosphere mm-hmm. and the world building yep so if you can have a really good world building with really good characters yep that's good. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there's a reason oh, that book has been, like, hailed for years. I've never heard of it before. I've I, never heard of the book. Uh, when I worked at the bookstore, we got books for World Book Day. And one of the ones that came through as, like... So, we got world, books for World Book Day that would go out. But you also had people who would, like, forget copies. Mm-hmm. And so... Fun fact, the first time I got Good Omens and read Good Omens was because someone brought, like, brought their own copy of their World Book Day version of Good Omens into the store and left it. They left it for, like, three, four weeks. So I got to take it home. And that's how I came across this book for the first time. I haven't read a lot of, a lot of the Terry Pratchett's, like, solo books because it's a very big undertaking to do that whole world of his books because they're so many uh so when when did you first read this this like i, I couldn't remember if you read it or not but you you have right i i did but like almost five years ago so like it was like my first or second year working at barnes and so i get math really bad when it comes to, to counting back so it was like four four five years ago ish if i'm remembering correctly so i read it back then and i never knew that people were planning on turning it into a thing but it was after it was during the height of my like in like finding out about neil gaiman stuff and enjoying that and so i i i i know a lot of people there are people who aren't i'm a big fan of like I'm saying surrealism. There's another word for it that I can't think of where you mix modern day with magic. And just that atmosphere is something I really enjoy. Practical magic? 
No. <laughs> no. That is not what I mean. Um, but, yeah, it, it it's an atmosphere I really like. So, one of the things that stood out to me about the show, specifically, is how much it still kept that fantasticalness while still feeling like you're you're in our world, you're just seeing like the other side of the mirror. Which I really enjoy. I like Michael Sheen, David Tennant. Yeah, the acting was really, really good. I even among like the, the kids. Like uh, they, mm-hmm. the kids were they, it seems like most of the bad child actors are here in the US. They're <laughs> uh, usually pretty good over in and, I mean, Stranger Things kids are good. Yeah, but I mean, like, out of the ones that are bad, they all seem to be American. Yeah. I mean... The ones are pretty good. Not always, but usually. Yeah, but they also do creepy kids really well. Yeah. But, no, yeah, the child actors were really, really good. Um, the... I went back and forth in, like, the first little bit with the Antichrist kid... Yeah, I wasn't sure, but at the end, like... I, uh, by the yeah. end of it, I, I liked him. When I first saw him, I couldn't tell if he was, like... If it was, like, a character he was playing, or if he was just kind of, like, quiet and stoic. Well, it, it seemed to me, like, they wanted to set up in the beginning that this is what you'd expect for the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Like, what people associate with it, with things like the Omen, and <laughs> uh, the things where it's, like, this kid who looks down and has dark circles under his eyes and just stares at you creepily and over time they broke that that idea broke that mold and showed you that no the kid's not like that because he had he, good parents yeah. he was raised right he had friends who you know cared and I like that his friends weren't scared of him yeah I mean like they were but like not to the point where they wouldn't stand up for. Yeah, they were especially the the one girl. Yeah. Uh, she was very much like, I don't care if you're the son of Satan. You're a jerk. You need to hear this. Yes. No, she was really cool. I enjoyed her a lot. I can't remember her character name for the life of me. No. Um, but I also really enjoyed the Hellhound. Yeah, that was funny. Where it, they're like, the Hellhound will will find and sniff out and accompany the Antichrist. And it turned into a little puppy. It turned into a little puppy. And they don't make a big deal out of it, but they do make a point through all of it about saying how, like, the Hellhound becomes what the Antichrist needs it to be. And through the trials and tribulations of what the kid's going through, the the dog becomes very much not helly. Like, yeah. it just keeps getting more and more removed from that because the Antichrist, that's what the Antichrist needs, was, like, a friend. And he wanted to be a puppy. He a puppy. And even the puppy was like, what the heck are you doing, kid? (laughs) At at some point. Because he ran off with the friends. Yeah. So that was really interesting. Um, I I liked the witch. Uh, Which witch? Oh. Yeah. The. Her name is so. Yeah. uh, It starts with an A. Yeah. it's, It's not Amarantha, but it's close. I'm blanking right now. I know. Uh, here, I'm not good with character names. I've said that in many of these podcast episodes. Yeah. But she was really cool. One, I like her aesthetic. Her outfits were on point. Two, she's like, she's not a creepy witch. She's very like, just like bookish and 
this is steadfast. I yeah, guess. like this is my job, and well, this is my this is what my entire family has raised me to be. Yeah, is the person to fulfill like the final parts of these prophecies. I loved the because uh, the the full title of the book is the one lady's yep. good omens, right? It's her name. Uh, uh, well, it's no the prophecies and yeah of of yeah the lady and and so. I I like that they're like, and now you're going to look to your left and see a bus or you know, yeah. whatever it was. It was it was always it was so you're specific. reading it at so it was one of those things where you read it and like you could read through the whole book and it makes no sense, but then you read it, you always end up reading them at the right moments too, and it, it's it's a very fun kind of like that's how prophecy should work, you know. I like the. The silliness of the fortune telling kind of thing. Yeah. Where it was like, and you're going to step in gum. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, that didn't make sense until I literally you just, just stepped, stepped in, in gum. gum. And it's one of those things where, like, is it a self fulfilling prophecy because of the prophecies? Who knows? But it was like, also, your cocoa is getting cold. Right. And so, like, you have Michael Sheen. Anathema. Anathema. Yes. And you have Mike- Michael Sheen as Azarafel. Yes. And he's, like, reading the Book of Prophecies, and he reads the one about, like, the angel and being like, and your cocoa's getting cold, or as his cocoa grows cold. And he looks over, and his cocoa's growing cold. Uh, I also really liked... He was one of those characters in media, like, oh, gosh, I know who this guy is. Uh, Shadwell, the... Oh, yeah. The Scottish uh, witch hunter. Yep. He and was... he's with Whitehall, the guy... Yeah. Um, yes? Hey, you pissed. This one. Yes, I was looking at his name. Uh, Newton, Newt Pulsifer. But he has the name carried down from his... his uh, the Thou shalt not commit adultery. I knew it was something yes. with adultery. Uh, so you had the witch hunters who would hunt the witches. And, and the witch from way back when was the lady from Who's Line? The yes. original British Who's Line. Yes. Uh, I'm going to find her name in just a minute. Mm-hmm. So stall for me. I will do so. <laughs> um, so you had... So Jack Whitehall played uh, all of the Pulsifers. And what you had was he got his grand, great-great-grandfather, whoever, the Thou Shall Not Commit Adultery Pulsifer, was the one who got cursed. And thus, um, Newt Pulsifer became someone who was cursed. Bad computers. Yep. So anytime he touched a computer, it exploded. And I it, I think it was, it seemed to me like the curse is you are bad at what you like. Yeah. And so he got, he really wanted to be like a computer engineer. And so he ended up being really bad at computers to the point where like, if he touches things, they explode. I don't know how he ever got hired. There was uh, something I watched very recently that said something like, oh, every computer I touch just just screws up and I was like hey hey <laughs> uh, Agnes Nutter that's her name there you go Agnes. I couldn't remember um and so you have all of that compiling to the point of you know he was always meant to blow up computers and make them work not work cause he saved everybody by blowing up a computer by touching it they're like well, there's no way to stop this wait a minute poke poke boom <laughs> And so I, so one of the things I really like is when plot pay, pays off, 
And I feel like this is a really good show of plot paying off. But it's all of the payoffs were silly things. Yeah, that's true. So, like, so this is definitely, like, full-on spoilers for this entire episode. Yeah. I'm not good at giving non-spoiler reviews because I want to talk about the specificnesses of what I like. Um, and so I'm just always really happy when plot tends to have all those payoffs. And so you get them in some of the best ways. And it's one of those things where, like, as someone who, like, my biggest habits in watching stuff is trying to predict what's going to happen. It's Yes, I know. Yes, I know. Um, it's having it make sense rather than feeling it. It doesn't fo- feel like it follows a cookie cutter plot, but it feels like it. It's written in a way that it gets to the point it's supposed to be. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, no, everything makes sense. And I can't predict everything that's going to happen. It, it, everything, as crazy and silly as it was, made sense mm-hmm. in the world that was that we were in. So Even all the flashbacks. And yeah. the 25-minute oh, yeah, intro. I was about to get to that. Yeah, <laughs> there was one episode. I think it's the fourth episode. I think so. Uh, where you're like, where you Just see the entire history of Azaraphale and Crowley's. Yeah, you get to see their whole thing, and you're just engaged, just like every every other thing. And then they do the opening credit, the the, the title sequence, and you're like, wait a minute. But I, I I remember at one point I was like, are we on a new episode? I thought we were on the what? I think we even paused it. We did and, pause it, and we we're like, oh, we're halfway through the new episode. episode. Intro sequence. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think was interesting. It wasn't afraid to play with, like, storytelling. Yeah. Which I really also... It reminded me of, like, I think The World the world Is Not Enough is the Bond movie with the longest... Because they always have their prologue and then they have the Bond title sequence. Mm-hmm. La, 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 song, give us an Oscar. Uh, before you get back into the movie. And that one was, like, four, I think it's, like, 14 minutes mm-hmm. before you get into that. And it looks like they're like, hey, we win at least for TV because we were like 25 minutes in. Before Half- our actual episode starts. Yeah. Um, so, speaking of Azaraphale and Crowley, how did you like them as characters? Because the whole show is pretty much carried on their shoulders. It's It starts with them in... On their wings. On their wings. Um, so, you start with Crowley, who is a demon. Who was one of... It's Crowley. Crowley, whatever. Crowley. Um, who is completely endearing in the fact that his evilness is doing things like making traffic jams in London. <laughs> or making everyone's phone stop working for 20 minutes. Like, all of it is so minuscule. And he keeps saying, like, I didn't choose to be a demon. Which, because he says that in, like, a bunch of different times. Like, I didn't choose to fall or whatever. You know, I just hung out with a bad crowd. He's the least evil of any demon you've ever seen. He just likes to, like, annoy people. Yeah, he's he's mischievous. Mischievous. Yeah. Uh, but you have the flip side of someone who is always following the law on. and trying to be lawful good. And, but... His love for humans, mm-hmm. <laughs> Castiel, uh, oh. or go backwards, Castiel. Well, well, <laughs> well, well, let's talk about the supernatural inspirations yes. at the end of this. Okay, uh, let's cover the actual. But the, his love for humans 
makes him understand that there is a gray area, mm-hmm. and yeah. the gray area is, you know, it's, it's a balance. It's, yeah, it's letting life continue. So when they do that, I mean, I I figured it out immediately. But I liked watching the other characters figure out the swap that they did. Oh, yeah, that was so fun. Like, no, I knew the moment that... So, like, they read the prophecy that's like, you know, be careful the face that you see or whatever. And so then they are each captured by the other side. And you have uh, Crawley about to be bathed in holy water. And (laughs) he just takes a bath. He's just like... And he has a rubber duck. (laughs) <laughs> like, and that was that's the, even a thing when they meet up again he's like tell me what exactly <laughs> is the function of a rubber David. duck oh um <laughs> wrong David Taylor franchise ah yes um wrong red haired British person yes yeah um and then you have uh Zerfell being doused in hellish fire hellfire and yeah he steps in the fire a la uh Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Jesus, and apparently Michael Sheen. <laughs> um, and it's and they set pretty much like the quote unquote fear of God into all of these other people, being like, "How can a demon resist holy water? How can how can an angel be seeped in fire?" Yeah, and they they make a point though at the end of it to be like, you know, this is going to happen again. And it's going to be us against everybody. But the the core of this entire show is the relationship between Azarafel and Crowley, which in the show is, you know, my best, this is my best friend. <laughs> um, the country version. <laughs> yes. Let me tell you about my best friend. Well, you have to do the, ooh, you make, make me, me lit. Because... Crowley only listens to Queen. <laughs> yes, that that is true. Which I think is really fun. I think that the soundtrack to this really, really worked. And I think Queen is like the I campiest love, of rock. You I love the part to. where they're like, Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me and it's Crowley. <laughs> like just the timing on everything is mm-hmm. is very good. Uh, it reminds me or like another person who does that sort of timing with music and things really well is Edgar Wright. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure Edgar Wright has plenty of uh, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett influence yeah. on his belt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've both been around for so long that so many people are inspired by them. But one of the one of the things about like this show that also really sells it is the character design. So, like you were talking about Beelzebub, the demons are so gross. Yeah. Like, they have frogs, they have flies, they have everything everywhere, and they're so gross. A lot of, some of them kind of reminded me of the Flying Dutchman Pirates oh, yeah. from Pirates of yeah, the Caribbean, yeah. where they're just, like, always wet yeah. and dripping. It's, and, like, so they look, and whenever you go to hell, you look like you're in, like, the worst office building. Like, it, it's the basement level yeah. of the office, and it's, it's so weird, because then you go to heaven, and it's you know, top tier floors. Yeah. But still, it's it's very... It's like the mailroom versus the executive offices. Yes, 100%. And it's also, um, you can see, I think, Bruce Almighty when they visit God. It looked like the same room. It, it, it's the same place. <laughs> like, they are, like, in the same office building, but Morgan Freeman ain't there. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, so all those character designs, and you have the their evolutions of Crowley, Crowley, whatever, and Crowley, Crowley, and Aziraphale. You have their like evolutions. They're the only ones who change, like for real. Like they're the only ones who, you know, grow in their life, which I find is really interesting and very. And it's because they spend the most time on Earth. Mm-hmm. But you have to think, like, how can you? place these people to be on earth and have that be their job and not expect them to adapt. Didn't you have a, f- didn't you have a flaming sword? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Aziraphale, I think it's, it's funny because he, of the two of them, he also really has a temper. Like, you don't see it. He mm. comes across in such a prim, proper way. But, you know, he, he is probably, of the two of them, the lesser level-headed one yeah and just we're just saying a lot for a character played by david tennant yeah but so david tennant's character is much louder but azarafel is really the one that's just like you don't want him he's more of a mess yeah you don't want to mess with him in the in the end of it Crowley's just like i'm doing stuff the thing I think that I like the most about them obviously is the two of them but not only that like you can tell by the the characterization and the the acting choices it's just fun mm-hmm. to see people that seem like good people in real life mm-hmm. be fun yeah the <laughs> things that they all look like they're having a good time but not in a way that denotes bad acting yeah. in a way that you can see that like they're in it oh like, yeah that everyone is 100% in it which i think is one of the best things they're not it doesn't feel like they're trying yeah. Even like John Hamm in his like stuffy angel suit. I love his purple eyes. Mm-hmm. That's it's cool. Super cool. I I like David Tennant's eyes. They always they feel that side of unnatural. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's why he always has the sunglasses, sunglasses. on. That's why he's so cool as well. And and wears just the worst wigs. <laughs> yeah, his, his hair's the worst thing. But I also don't think he should have long hair. No, because because the thing is, the thing about the wigs is that what makes them so bad is that they are following his natural hairline, which in the way that he normally wears his hair, like in the in his short hair or his like more fluffy hair. It tends to come forward, but when they have him with long hair, his hair goes back, but he has such a high hairline that it just makes him look so skeletal. Yeah. It looks so weird. He is very gaunt looking. And then you, when you, you make that wig, like a hippie wig or- Hippie or like wig a, with red hair. Yes. Or like Victoria, it's just, uh, it's it's so bad in the, wor- in the best way. Yep. But- Michael Sheen didn't get any crazy wigs. No. It's just Crowley being like, I want to be fancy. Because the demons are wild and he's like, no, don't touch the hair. Keep it my little curly permed self throughout <laughs> he's, all he's the He's very ages. cherub. Like he's Oh yeah. His, his entire design is so cherubic that it's it's very interesting. And David Tennant is very serpentine. Um in the book, Crowley is much more serpent like. So he like his S's and everything, like the way that they write his dialogue. And so there's much more about Crowley being the serpent in the book, but you still get that. I think that's oh, why yeah. that's why his eyes do the thing and all of that, but you still get that serpentness from it without him seeming like Barty Crouch Jr. <laughs> yeah. 
He didn't. He didn't do the tongue licky thing. No, which, to be fair, could have been a thing. Yeah, I think the only reason it wasn't, or a good and a good reason why it wasn't, is because that would just make it seem like another character that he's played. And this is, like, don't get me wrong, it's very like, uh, I classic David Tennant, but also, like, you buy it the whole time because yeah. he is fully invested, and it's also very, like, both of them. Mm-hmm. I've seen them do wildly different things. And this fully commit, fully committed from both of them mm-hmm. at all times. Yes, and it's and it's great. And it so much of this show, and I know we've said this before, like rides on the relationship between the two of them, and it's just so strong. Like when they fight, when they get along, when they plot, whatever. When it's, they break it, up, when they get back together. Right. So, I mean, that's another thing to talk about is it is the underlying thing of, like, is it a romance? Is it not a romance? Is it a romance in that it's these two characters who love each other because they, they really do, but don't understand really what that kind of love is? Yeah. I mean, they, they aren't human, so they are still figuring what that figuring out what Mm -hmm. that means but to me i think it's the best kind of romance because you can tell that they were already they're already best friends Mm -hmm. and are you saying that you should be friends first i mean not as but you should be you should be best friends with whoever you're with i think that's important it is and that's what i think is happening with them yes and they're nice little was it lunch or dinner what? At the end, I, I uh, think it was lunch. I think it was lunch. You want to get their lunch? lunch date? And in the book, they retire, or they talk about at least retiring to a cottage mm-hmm. together. And it's like, it's one of those things where maybe, maybe not. And I think it, I think people, because so since the book came out, the relationship between the two of them is a very big standing point between fans of this book and the fans of the story about like, is it? Like, are they? Aren't they? All of that. And I think people... Will they? Won't they? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But the thing is, like, they they do. But I think people think about it. And this is me and my interpretation, so it goes along with anything. People interpret their relationship in a human way. And it, it really is that they're not human. They're not built and they don't have the history to build upon a relationship the way that you expect a human relationship between two people to go along with because you know we're raised to see the evolution of a thing i have to give that credit to the writing because you could just have you could so easily fall into uh the i don't want to say traps but just tropes or whatever of, of a human relationship and the fact that it is this kind of strange area this strange path mm-hmm. uh, because they're neither of them are human yeah uh, I think that's something that could easily have been forgotten yeah. or just kind of shoved to the side, and I never felt that. No. And so that, to me, that makes it more interesting. I, I 100% agree, and I think that's what makes, like, part of the relationship of the these two characters and of, like, just following along the story is that we really are seeing a, a relationship between non-humans, whether it's the two of them or the two of them in relationship to all of the other non-humans, and then their relationship, their interactions with actual humans, loving humans, but not being human. 
And I feel like that's also a really cool thing because they have ideas about what to do. So, like, when it comes to them raising the Antichrist or... Which was really weird to see David Tennant in, like, really bad drag. <laughs> which I think was on purpose because you were supposed to see it as David Tennant. I think probably, like, the book makes it seem like he's more that character when they talk about it. But it, in the show, they kind of... Gloss over the fact that it's fully David Tennant going like, oh, hello. Yeah, they kind of misdoubt-fired him. Yeah, they, misdoubt-fired him. they really did. <laughs> um, but you get their relationship with humans and their, their chosen course of actions based on how they think humans think versus, like, they don't understand it fully. So they make, you know, they're like, oh, if we do this, it will all be fine. But it's not fine. Or we'll do this and people will react this way. But they don't. And, like, so they're at the end, like, you know, they they try really hard with the Antichrist. But they have no idea whether or not any of it would actually help. And I like that after, like, thousands of years of being on Earth, they're still learning. Mm-hmm. But it's Cause also... Because it's, it's a different... It's a different cognition than, mm-hmm. than we as humans have. Yeah. And they also have a different concept of time because... You know, for as long as they've been around, it also isn't that long. Yeah, like, a century is like, oh yeah, didn't I see you, like, last week, pretty much? Yeah, and so their relationship is also on a different timetable. Okay, I just have to put, that just reminded me of one part, I have to point out really quickly, Mm -hmm. the the attention to detail and finding the comedy in it, when... Crowley is in the church and it's like ah. <laughs> yeah that's that's the other thing is like uh they they just they know their world so well yeah and and they do fully commit to the satire kind of of that world and just the ability to tackle what is you know like a serious subject and deal with it in a way that, you know, is serious because all of the characters have are fully high staked at, you know, this the entire time. But being able to take the small moments to still bring you back into the fun of it, uh, just the actual small stakes of the characters. So, like, yeah, they want to stop the end of the world. That's the big stakes. But all of them still have the small stakes, which is, like, finding the books that they like. Or the food that they like, or taking care of their plants, and all of these like small stake investments, and it's it's really good to have the levels because then you don't get lost in plot. And it's it's just another character thing of them enjoying day to day human life, mm-hmm. which you know, good or bad, human life is probably some of the more nuanced things you can think about and in seeing it from a perspective of people who are just the side of not human is really really interesting uh i mean i don't really have much more i know we've just been saying all the good things uh let's talk about the bad things about this all right so i think that's it uh Uh, (laughs) so i think it's my personal favorite thing i've watched as far as tv this year I would agree. I've watched a few things this year that I really like, but I think the one that left me overall just fully satisfied was Good Omens. And so I do think we need to close out on the so heavily influenced world of Supernatural. Oh, dare we? Just just a touch base. 
Uh, Angels in Suits and the Business of Heaven. Yep. Aziraphale equals uh, Castiel. Yep. So much. Aziraphale equals Castiel. Crowley equals Crowley. Yep. And it, it just, like, so much of the way that they do things is, like, uh, it's so heavily influenced. Uh, having, canceling the apocalypse. Canceling the apocalypse. the apocalypse. Uh, t- getting the Antichrist to be like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Making the Antichrist, uh, having the Antichrist be born and raised in a good environment mm-hmm. and basically... Uh, noping no, testing. Yeah, noping his his fate. Mm-hmm. Um, just the the way that they build it up is so, and it the business as Dean would say, the business suits. As as Dean would say, angels are dicks. One hundred percent. And so I I really enjoy. So I've always really enjoyed the interpretation of like heaven and hell in Supernatural, and just seeing how heavily influenced. Like, I don't think I really connected how heavily influenced it was because of, like, not consuming... Well, that's why when we were watching this, because since, like I said, I hadn't heard of it, I was like, uh, I need to know right now which one of these came first. You know, oh. Like, and you're like, uh, I was like, this one came first, right? And you were like, yeah, I think it was it... Oh, wow, it was, like, the 90s. 90s. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Then they just... They... S- somebody just- read that book a few times. Yeah. Eric Kripke really liked good old... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... But I don't think that's a bad thing. No. Influence is not a bad thing. Supernatural still makes it its own. It's just you can see the building blocks that they found. this In a similar way of like, uh, you can tell that George R. R. Martin has read Lord of the Rings a few times. Yeah. yeah. It, it's definitely that. It's a loving. Yeah. And it's like. Stealing. And it's like, my response to that, if I were them, would be like, what? It's great. <laughs> At least they're stealing from something good and not something bad. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they're not making it their own. Yeah. But you can you can just see the foundation. Oh, yeah. And so it's it's really interesting. But I I think that you can tell that we highly recommend you go watch Good Omens if you yeah, haven't if you already. Yeah, you get that, uh, you have had this entire episode on mute. <laughs> yeah, which, I mean, if you've gotten this far, you probably have watched Good Omens, I would think. Uh, but Thank you for listening, and thank you for uh, being interested in what we have to say about Good Omens from Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett and whoever else made the TV show. Yeah. And we will talk to you again next week. This has been Talk Nerdy to Me, Baby. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud, and all of your other favorite podcasting apps. Please leave a rating or review if you can. And I am Amory by the Sea on all social media. And I am Case Crusader. Everywhere. Everywhere. And we will talk at you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye, Pocket.